There's no better time to prepare than right now. FarmQA has a suite of tools to make a consultant's day a breeze. Setting up your pick list for weeds, insects, and disease that you can expect to see in season. And don't forget to set up your recommendations so you can get back to your clients sooner. The time is now to get your stuff hammered out on FarmQA. If you want to make your life easier, go check out FarmQA at farmqa.com. I hear all the cool kids are into precision ag now. Cool like what? This winter? Hell man. Things like RX seed populations, fertility, and even a little bit of drainage. You can do all that? How do you get all that done? You sure can, by using GK Technologies ADMS. Oh yeah, it's the Ag Data Mapping Solution. Sure is, it can turn layers of data into site-specific solutions. So if you want to get done, look no further than ADMS. Go to gktechinc.com to learn more. Hey, I'm Kyle Oki. And I'm Jason Hansen. And you are listening to the Agronomist Happy Hour podcast. Rock and roll. That's why they drink vodka over there. <laughs> You're better off spraying the vodka on those last words. <laughs> <laughs> Drought is no fun to endure. It, it's Devil's right hand. <laughs> it, you, oh no, that's beer. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. You were listening to the Agronomist Happy Hour, and we are talking on the subject of kochia, but really it can mean any resistant weed, but uh, we feel like it's important to talk about kochia this week because this is something that there's been there's been lots of winter meetings going on in the month of March. Jason, you and I have been to a lot of meetings this winter. It's been busy the last couple of weeks, going different places. Um, and one thing that we've got to sit and digest on since the wild world of weeds is that in North Dakota, we have populations of kochia across the state, especially in the West, that have resistance issues that are pretty new to us, to the Group 14 class of chemistry. I'll even back it up to... The Lake Region Roundup. You're right. It went back before that even. For yeah, Lake Region so Roundup was the first week of, yeah. First week of January. So I, I kind of wonder if our, our volume of snow and just moving snow and dealing with snow and ice has kind of made some people forget. But that was some outstanding information and research that Dr. Brian Jenks and Minot has uh, delivered. And it was, yeah, it was brought again at the Wild World Weeds with Joe Ikeley. And it's... Uh, it's kind of working its way out in the countryside, but not. I'm surprised that it hasn't been as uh, sung from the mountaintops. Well, we got one of the buttes out your way. <laughs> <laughs> sung from the buttes, Turtle Mountains up my way. In that this is a uh, this is a big issue, and uh, I've had some meetings where we've we've uh, this has come up. I've sat down with some uh, crop consultants and. Uh, We've talked about, you know, I think initially there was four areas in the state. It was what, Berthold, Minot, Dickinson, Mott, or the four listed towns. Or Mandan and Mott, yeah. Or Mandan and Mott, yep. sorry. Yep. But uh, I know Mohol's in that same scenario because uh, I it was it was great to go sit and talk to people about something that's going on two and a half hours west of me because I, I, I took in the scope of, of what it was. I'm per se 
don't feel that I'm dealing with it, but I am on kind of pins and needles after that conversation. Well, and the reason it's such a big deal for us is, well, on multiple levels, but let's just talk first on a very North Dakota level thing is North Dakota has a lot of minor crops and our minor crops rely pretty heavily on the group 14 class of chemistry in a pre-emerge sense, but those pre-emerges also get used as a pre-emerge burndown, which we rely pretty heavily on. So if it's sunflowers, pulse crops, so chickpeas, lentils, dry yep. edible beans, uh, dry peas, flax, uh, flax, yeah, flax, soybeans, um, safflower, oh, we Austin can't forget Sundin, <laughs> Mr. Safflower Solutions himself. <laughs> you need you need that Spartan to work out. Um, and so it gets used in a lot of places, but then if you expand and go further out, and this isn't just a kosher problem, um, uh, Dr. Rodrigo Worley, yeah, University of Wisconsin Weeds, is talking about how they're seeing water hemp populations showing resistance to sulfentrazone and some other PPOs. And so it's not just a kosher thing. We're seeing this happen, and, and this is where it's getting a little more concerning is that, okay, that's a huge part of the soybean pre-market, but in North Dakota, it's a huge part of all of our minor crops, which we are purely relying on that class of chemistry, and we don't really have a lot of good post options. Where in soybeans, you go to the traded stuff, and you've got some post mm-hmm. options. Yeah. But um, yeah, if you, but I know like they're looking at the next the next traded soybean as a PPO resistant trait. Well, if you're starting to lose to PPOs before the traits even there. What good's the trait? I don't want to buy that stock. No, I would almost say, I don't know if it's worth having that stock right now. So some of the first initial uh, work that was done was, uh, and you you go around and talk to people, they feel that there's been this slow trend of just non-performance in some of those group 14s. Well, there was two products named in these locations, uh, and that was AIM and that was Sharpen. Uh-huh. Now, did it surprise you with AIM? No. We've always... No. But but what should surprise more people is that, okay, this is more of a Western North Dakota thing, but we see a lot of half-ounce rates of AIMs go out, and yeah. and yeah. he's showing ounce, two-ounce rates of AIM and more. This is the Brian Jenks work that's been going through since the start of Lake Region Roundup yeah, and through many meetings since where, yeah, some two or four X rates of AIM, nothing. Nothing oh. works. His highest rate that he's shown in a slide was 16 ounces of AIM. And it was, the kosher was greenish. It wasn't <laughs> nuked or, or brown, right? Which, that. yeah, if you have group 14 activity, it should look like you've desiccated it. Right. Yep. I, I've, it's always been, uh, AIM, I, I've always said, you, you kind of have to everything line up very well for you that day. Uh, yep. sunlight, the heat, the water volume, the droplet size, uh, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, the price, you know, the price point you, yeah, you're right. You should be at an ounce or a little higher and whatever, but the sharpen thing, I mean, they're doing a one ounce, a two ounce, and I've used some of that in, in getting the residual out of it, mm-hmm. but the foliar aspect now is really, that's, that's a big deal because now all of a sudden you, you named all those minor crops. Well, you can you can use sharpen in front of as a pre on your barley and your wheat. You can use verdict uh, in your corn. Oh, I look at a big one in Western North Dakota, lentils. Yep. If if we don't have sharpen, 
we're really running out of some good burndown options. As in, <laughs> there's some non-existent burndown options if aim and sharpen aren't effective. Yeah. And, and Brian, I think, did, I, I, well, I don't think, he did, he did a great job. Because uh, one, his delivery. He's very uh, articulate. He's very, he's very just kind of smooth. He doesn't get too excited. He's just going to yep. lay the facts out to you. And so when he starts talking about these two things, immediately if you're if you're you're thinking about well, how does this affect some of these other products? Like, uh, wow, your your market is there's a lot of fall valor, and my market there's a lot of spring applied sulfentrazone, you know, Spartan brands, Authority brands, they're in the same classification of family, and and they're doing their due diligence. They're taking these populations that are showing aim and sharpen resistance and they're screening it right now as i don't know if it's on a friday night they're doing it but they're they've been <laughs> they've been pretty busy with that and that's the nervousness that i have is to I, what do you do if it, it and it's not every field no and and that's a that's a big thing like that was really good to go out to mohall and talk with the brian and christy michaels and their group of people that were there and shep consulting and because they're in a different spot than i am but they're west of me, northwest of me, and our prevailing winds tells me that this is going to be an issue that Hansen's got to deal with in the future. Well, and that's that's a concerning thing about kosher in particular and why that's a problem. Like um, We've always had group one, group two resistant wild oats issues, foxtail issues. Um, generally, those populations, they, they migrate and they can move field to field, but they don't move near as fast. Kosher, all you got to have is one field to have bad control because of resistance and then you to be where the prevailing, you know, downwind of the prevailing winds. And guess what? You are the direct recipient of how kosher likes to disseminate. I mean, it's tumbleweed. So you, it, it becomes everyone's problem. Yeah. And, and so that's back to your point, you know, like, Hey, if you're to the East and we have prevailing West winds, guess what? Eventually your problem it you know, could be your neighbor to the East's problem. Your neighbor to the south's problem. So in, in some of the pictures, you're seeing a lot of great visuals, and he's, they're showing not only locations uh, and a susceptible population, but then the different locations and the populations that are being controlled, at a 1x, a 2x, so on. But there was also uh, applications that were done with some Flexstar, and those populations were being controlled. So now there are some differences even you say group 14, right? But mm -hmm. aim carventrazone is different and sharpen. Say flufenicil is different and, and so on and so forth. So that's that's the importantness of, I'm, I'm glad we've got uh, greenhouses in the state, in Minot and Fargo, that we can test this stuff and get a better handle on. And, and what they're concerned about, and I, I say they, I'm going to give it to uh, Dr. Brian Jenks, Dr. Joe Eichley, is the scope of what this is, what this is, because yeah, we we rely on this so much, and so now, uh, my ex my experience with this is, uh, I sit down with my consultant counterparts. We have a very frank, open, cut to the chase type of deal. Uh, I've been at some meetings where uh, there's a couple companies I th I think are addressing this very well, and they kind of, but but it's a it's a little softer approach in that because they don't. I understand people have inventory in their, their warehouses and it's not every field and you have to make people realize what's going on, but you don't, it isn't, it isn't a scare thing. 
But at the grower level, I just don't think at this point that there is the, I was in meetings this week, talked to close to 70 people, asked the question, how many of you heard this group 14 PPO thing of any degree? Not one hand was raised. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, that's a big deal, I think. Right, because, well, if you know about a small handful of populations, that's what they know about. So there's more than that. And and now there's more known. And so it'd be nice if, you know, it's always hard to communicate the word out when, when things first happen. But uh, I, I back up for a second too, you know, like everyone does know how to handle that information. And I think what maybe some people do when they hear, let's just say like, hey, sharpen isn't working anymore or aim is working or the why the hell do I sell it? you know, kind of thing. And so I think that's where the fear comes from, from maybe yeah. a, a manufacturer side or a retail side. But I would challenge and say, if you remove that product altogether, then you know what's going to happen, right? It, it's asking the same question. Okay, you got glyphosate resistance in certain weed populations. Do you remove glyphosate from your herbicide program? No, because there's other things that glyphosate gets. And not to mention the weed that you have resistance against if you have that product plus something else you get more activity out of it so you can be thrown in the towel and saying hey yeah. if ppos aren't working why the hell are we selling them why are we why are we recommending and positioning it that's that's a bad position to take you need to be looking at it like these need to be positioned but how do we help that program oh. what do we need to do to enhance it what do we need to do to make it look better how do we get in front of this potential resistance issue, or if we're dealing with resistance, how do we get in front of it? Because kochia is still a plant that within two years is 98% germinated. So you can get on top of it, but you got to declare war right now. You got to make sure you're doing something to take care of the job. Yeah. You can't just rely on one thing. So I, I had, let's see, I had peas this year and soybeans and edible beans. Those are my main, yeah, those are my main ones. All of those had uh, sulfentrazone on them. And I felt it was, my performance was very good. Where I could, and this is where you're going to probably have to start managing, is the multiple mode of action. Where I could use metribuzin, I used it. And I will continue to use it. So that was a big discussion point because of, the, Dr. Jenks has a lot of good information of looking at um, the combination of the residual part of it, the foliar part of it, combination with other products that are in there and uh one of the things that you're gonna you say well what do you you'd ask a group of people what do you think about metribuzin first hand raise up crop response injury mm -hmm. why well why do you well, see the injury <laughs> well it's uh when you open the label there's a lot of soil factors that you have to be paying attention to uh the texture the organic matter percent the ph probably, to some pH, degree yeah yeah, so it's gonna it's gonna force you to be really good at knowing those areas and zones within your field. And but so the opportunity that lies in there is that maybe it's a variable rate thing that you have to look at. Yeah, to me, that. I look at this as an opportunity to utilize your skill in agronomy. Uh -huh. Most of us in sales, consultants, reps, at farmers, every level. We've got, we've got a base understanding. A lot of us have got the education, but behind the weed science stuff, if it was a class in college, if it's been seminars we've gone to, if it's 
meetings we've attended, that that information has been presented to us in some way or fashion. And right. we have, and, and maybe, you know, maybe you know your field at a whole level on some of the information. Maybe you do more zone testing or grid testing and you know it on a very intricate spatial level. I think we got to start utilizing some of this information. Yeah, and and the same the thing about uh, the metribuzin with pH organic matter texture. Guess what? It plays with the group fourteen classic chemistry, uh-huh. the group fifteen classic chemistry, and and so now we're talking well, and the group two classic chemistry. It's a lot of lot of different chemistries and how those uh, will play with texture and pH and and uh, organic matter and all that. So you know, if we're if we're needing to get more activity out of some of these, we're gonna have to start thinking out of the traditional box and relied less on traits because the more we keep leaning on one thing, because that's my fear on soybeans. So we're seeing some issues with dicamba. Right. Now, now you complicate it with the PPO thing. And now we've gotten beans are mostly extend flex or enlist. So we have the glufosinate, the Liberty option. Liberty will work great if we're implementing the pre- and a solid burn down with the growth regulators. But if we aren't implementing those things because we're seeing resistance in both classes, that's uh, that's where it gets scary. Like don't throw in the towel and think that we can't utilize those things. We might have to look at how do we utilize those things to have the best advantage with them. And in one of those, you know, for zone sampling things and we trust our zones and we have the parameters, maybe it is spatially applying your group 14s, your group five, the metribuzins, the sulfentrazones, and, and cranking it up in the areas where you can and leaving it at a lower rate where you see crop injury issues. Yeah. And and then if you do that in conjunction with glufosinate and, and the growth regulators, I think you're going to see really good results. You got a multiple mode of action plan there. You have to. Yeah. It can't, it can't be... Well, there's resistance, so we sh- it, it was like hearing the whole, like, uh, when glyphosate was more expensive here the last year, and a lot of guys wanted to go to the group one class because we're like, oh, well, glyphosate's, you know, there's so many tolerances or resistances to just glyphosate anyway, killer. so let's just, well, let's, just yeah. let's just plant, let's just go with select plethodim and, and see how that works. And I know some guys use that as their plan because all they had were grass problems, or so they thought you know, kind of thing until you're dealing with it. But I think we'll be in a lot of trouble if we take that mentality with the group 14 and the growth regulators, if we're seeing issues with control with both of those. Would you put a, would you put metribuzin out by itself as a pre? Oh no, that's pretty, pretty crappy pre by itself too. <laughs> right. You know, so you're not, well, if you think, oh, I'm not going to do this, I'm just going to go here. That, that is not, that's not a great plan. I don't think. No. And it, interesting slide that, uh, Dr. Jenks had up there was uh, you could list all the kosher options in all these crops, and then let's take out the ones that have known resistance. And you could go along in a burndown, and he had one product in particular that always showed up, and that was Gramoxo Paraquat. Yep. Okay, that's cool. But let's uh, the que- here's some of the questions that came in. Well, how does uh, I'm used I'm I'm comfortable with using. Gramoxone in the fall is a desiccant. How is it going to work in the spring when it's cooler? It's a great point. Great point, right? Well, then another factor that comes into this is that's the time that a lot of Gramoxone gets used. 
is uh -huh. late summer, fall desiccation. If you think you're going to go in and switch a lot of your, let's just use glyphosate as an example, you're going to switch out half your glyphosate acres with gramoxone in the first spring. Guess what? It isn't going to happen because it isn't being made, distributed, dropped off, whatever you want to call it at that time of the year. Uh -huh. Plus, how many people do you talk to, Kyle, and you say, oh, here's here's a really good option. All you need to do is put on 32 ounces of gramoxone. They're like, uh, I'm Pump good. the brakes for a second. Yeah. And and use at least uh, 10 to, well, that now we're, I'm sorry, I'm talking North, Western North Dakota speak, but, uh, you know, now you're starting to use 15, 20 gallon burn down rates where in the spring when you don't have a canopy, you're, you're getting away with 10 or where I'm at five. And now you have to go from five to 10 or, you know, something like that, or you go from 10 to 15. Now you're handling more water in a, in a very pressed time period. It's logistically a harder thing to do. So you have to be prepared for those things. If that's going to be what you're doing, one, can you get the product Two, are you prepared to handle more water and get less acres done in that period of time? Three, do I have my restricted use license? Yes. Four, did I go through the extra training that that yes. active ingredient requires? And five, I hate using that stuff. Because <laughs> that's, yes. that's, that's part of the equation. So uh, that factors into it as well. So that's, that's part of the burn down. So, so some of this stuff might have to move farther back into the fall. There might have to be some things we look at at that time frame and that's not popular because some people they pull the pins like we're done spraying we're not going to spray anymore the sprayer is winterized it's done that's in the story I, what are you going to do i think this is this is a good way to put it uh everyone wants to handle their kosher problem as a battle when it's really a war and so you have to think strategically on how you're going to win the war it's a long long term yeah it's a long-term thing it takes multiple attacks it takes attacks from different angles with with different specialties to weaken the enemy, the kosha, and and so you have to think of it. Okay, it, it's a fall burn down. It's multiple modes of action. How are you going to handle it pre-emerge? How are you going to handle it in crop? How are you going to handle it with other things like biological factors? Like there's other there's other farmers and consultants that utilize cover crops to their advantage to have an actively growing crop on say salinity areas where your kosher normally comes from and to keep something actively growing that maybe your main crop wouldn't be the thing that keeps actively growing in those areas and utilizing a cover crop to cover the ground to make sure that the kosher can't grow yeah um that and, was brought so, up that was brought up as well is that that's another thing that has to be potentially looked at because it's a different mode of action it's it's a biological mode of action so, so this whole like short form episode, because we're going to keep it under 30 minutes, is we're talking that we have more resistance to kosha as our weed, but I think that anyone else listening to this that doesn't have kosha, you can be thinking about your water amp, your palmer, your ragweeds, um, whatever, whatever, you know, weed is giving you heartburn is that this is, this is a long-term thing uh -huh. as far as, uh, how you have to combat it or you have to deal with it and it's not going to be handled with one application at a time you have to start thinking as things as a system you can't be thinking of it as in the moment yeah. and when we keep thinking of it as in the moment and we keep hearing like oh well we're starting to see ppo resistance we're starting to see more dicamba resistance 
Don't throw those things away. You yep. need to start utilizing things in a system to how can you keep this weed from germinating all the time? How can you keep this weed from getting any bigger than four inches tall? And and what are you doing to keep the plant small and keep it manageable? There, that's that's a key. That so I'll back up a little bit on that dicamba piece. There, I've been in some meetings where I'll just say it's uh, central part of the state, Highway 281. There's there's a big area there where there's kosher issues where you're you're on two to three x rates of dicamba and you still have kosha that aren't uh they're messed up but they're not dead they probably will produce seed so that that that's a big that's uh-huh. a big thing in uh if that molecule is it's coming that fast and we've uh the so when you mentioned small weeds and doing the right thing one of the first things i thought of was like oh my gosh i hope nobody goes to an extend flex they hear this thing my pre doesn't work don't use that. I'm going to just spray Liberty. And that's what I'm, I'm going to do it two, two times in the season, Liberty. Because li- Liberty is like the last holdout. That's the last thing. We have to preserve that, as Brian Jenks would say. Well, and if you have any weed size that gets bigger than four or five inches, you'll call Liberty a shitty herbicide anyways. Yeah, totally agree. It's uh, Especially if you don't have any humidity. <laughs> well, we've had plenty of those in the recent past too. Yeah, where where we have dry years, and then Liberty doesn't work that great either. So so just to to kind of wrap up this thing, I mean, this is this is preemptive. Uh, we uh, we have some plans with other guests, and and uh, we're gonna dive into this topic a little more in detail. But just a perspective from winter meetings, what's been presented, what's out there. Kosh has always been a problem in the Dakotas, especially as you get west, and they don't have to go very far west, and it keeps presenting more and more issues. And for us in the Dakotas, like we keep hearing the water hemp, which some of us deal with, the Palmer amaranth, which some of us are seeing. And that's the Midwest's bigger issue. They don't deal with kosher. And now we're starting to see like, if we're starting to lose our tools to manage kosher, that's going to become a major issue, way bigger than water hemp could be. (laughs) And so we have to make sure we're doing what we can to make sure that we're preserving the, the technology we have, the chemistries we have available to us, and we're going to have to start managing it differently because it's finding ways around our simple solutions. Yep. So pay attention. We'll have some stuff we're going to be posting here on the Agronomist Happy Hour Twitter page and through the season and so on and so forth. And this is a big deal. It's it's a uh, it's a really big deal. So with that, uh. Like we're going to do with the rest of our Friday night is drink some more beer. <laughs> well, yeah. And <laughs> multiple and, modes of action, man. <laughs> yep. We talk multiple modes of action. So it's going to be more than just uh, your golden ale or your Bach or your, my favorite mode of action, IPA. Going to try a little everything tonight. But uh, everyone else listening, just hang in there. We're going to have some more good stuff on kosher and some weed resistant stuff as we get into the month of April. Yep. And we'll just catch you the next time on the Agronomous Happy Hour. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.